0: While there may not be a lot to talk about, there's still some news to break down. So join me as we go on a solo adventure today on the 38th episode of The Evil Report Podcast. Back again, episode 38, another solo show, you know, just love doing these. While we don't have both of us here, we do have me, so you might as well get started on stuff. We have a decent little bit of a slate going today, and that would include the ALPB prospect camp. That's a large part of today's thing. A lot of news on managers and the letter that Triggerland put out just a couple of days ago. There was another kind of anthology part to this uh, episode that was planned, but that's going to have to be delayed due to the fact that I'm the only one here, and it's heavily discussion-based. So I'll leave you with that teaser for next week. So we might as well get started with the news. We have the ALPB Prospect Camp. This came out the other day. I believe it was Monday it came out. Um, basically, it's going to be a, a very large mini-camp for player tryouts. It's being done in conjunction with Prospect Dugout, which is uh, ran by Craig Maddox. You'll probably remember him from being with uh, Southern Maryland for a large part of the year. And then he kind of bounced around a little bit. I think at one point he wound up in Rockland, but I'm not 100% certain on that one. I know a Maddox wound up in uh, in Rockland this past year. But the main important thing to this, it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of guys. There's no debating that. In fact, so much so that uh, Craig wanted to come on and talk to us. But unfortunately, due to our uh, technical limitations, we were unable to uh, make that work out. But but do know for certain, as soon as we're able to take the phone calls, put them to the board, and record them properly, so that way we have you know quality audio. He'll definitely be on. We'll definitely break down the prospect camp a lot more. We do plan to have him on once we're able to do that. In any case, uh, back to the topic at hand. These trials are going to be in Florida. They're going to be in Arizona. It's going to be end of March uh, the 30th through the April 2nd. That's going to be the period in Orlando, Florida, uh, the Bomba Sports Complex. And they have four sports fields. Too. It's going to be a big, like I said, it's a big workout. It's a giant opportunity here. Uh, and then in Tucson, Arizona, at the Kino Sports Complex, uh, that is from April 6th through April 9th. We're going to have all eight teams in attendance, so that it does include the Road Warriors. And the big thing here is there's going to be 34 guaranteed contracts handed out. Now, granted, one of these are going to go to the Road Warrior team, so that's where the bulk of their team's coming from. Is this I call it a prospect camp? I've also seen mini camp. Both are essentially the same thing, so I'm I'm going to use the terms interchangeably. Any case, though, it's a wonderful opportunity for them. You're going to see a lot of guys come out of this. Last year, we had 41 guys signed from this. There was over 200 in attendance, so a solid number there. I believe it was about a quarter of the guys that were attended wound up getting signed by some league. Uh, Mostly, I believe it was uh, between the Atlantic League and uh, Can-Am and Frontier. Those three were really the big signees from that. American Association also got in on the act too, though. So it's not like these were small, insignificant leagues. These were major, major leagues that you saw come out of it. Some of the names that came out of it were guys like Gavin Stupinski, which we all know how important he was to Sussex, and their uh, championship run that fell about a game shy of actually getting the job done. And then uh, guys like Gabriel Brockmonte, he also got signed out of this. So uh, there was a good amount of guys, a lot of notable names. That if you go and you look at the list, which is on uh, the Prospect Dugout site, you'll see the guys that signed there. So if you can definitely get on it, get on it. I know, at least at the time of recording, on the Instagram story for Prospect Dugout, you'll see a discount code to register for it. I don't know the actual rates for that, so I'll link this, the Prospect Dugout site, in the show notes. And you guys can kind of look through that. If you're a player, you can see how much it, regis- how much it costs to register, how much... You know, it's going to cause for you to get down there and do the whole thing if you're interested in it. If you're just a fan, like I assume many people listening are. If you're just a fan, then you could go and take a look at it and just see some of the names that have been signed over the past few years of them doing it. I believe it's been around since 2016 or 2017, I don't recall. So it's still fairly new, but it does have a good track record. Because like I said, 41 guys signed last year from these tryouts and 11 went to the Atlantic League. So very good there. The actual day and structure of this is going to look similar, if not exactly, to this. We're going to have eight teams managed by the eight managers of the Atlantic League. So you'll see uh, your Jamie Keefe, you'll see Wally Backman, you'll see whoever gets Taft the Road Warrior job, you'll see Jody, you'll see all the guys. You'll see them all there. They'll be managing each of these teams, so they'll each get a team, which is going to be important, as all these teams are going to wind up playing each other. So every manager is going to get a chance to look at it, and obviously, if you're assigned to a certain team, then that manager is going to get a better look at you. There's going to be four 10-inning games. Each game starts at 12:30, so it's going to be on each of the four sports complex. I assume I believe it's a three or four days in each camp. If it's four days in each camp, I assume everybody's going to get managed by every manager, so that way you have an equal, or every manager has an equal look to you. Kind of my assumption there, however, I'm not exactly sure on the specifics there, but that would make sense to me if it's that many days, and that's the plan per day. Uh, Also, prior to these games, so prior to the 12.30 start time, you'll see batting practice and extended fielding session. That's just to kind of get to see how well-rounded of a player you are, to see if you excel at one area or another. Uh, Also, this will kind of help you if you're not able to get into games as much, because like I said, it's a four-ten inning game that you're going to play there there are certain minimums for guys. Pitchers are going to face 24 batters per day. You're going to see a lot of batters, so that's the important thing. You're going to get a lot of tape. That's good for them. And then batters are going to get three to four at-bats a day. So that's where the fielding session and the batting practice is really going to come in handy. So for guys that are that may not get as many opportunities in-game, you're going to get a lot of fielding session time as well or batting practice, so that way the, the staffs can kind of see how well-rounded of a player you are and see maybe you do poorly in the morning session and then you do well in the game that may help you maybe you don't have maybe you're just a pitcher that doesn't have their stuff or you boot a, a couple of infield balls or you know you go down looking a couple times in the game you know just not a good in game day the, the morning fielding session could kind of bail you out of that so it's good to see that kind of well-rounded and we're not in that Greg's uh, not just doing one specific thing it's very comprehensive and that's Always a positive for players in general. At the end of, of each of these, there's going to be a... Or I believe at the end of each of these, and not just at the end of the one in Kena, which is the second one, but, uh, there's going to be a mini draft for seven teams. Obviously, the Road Warriors are going to be the one that's excluded from that. I assume the draft door is going to be the same as the Disposal or Dispersal draft, whichever you prefer to call it. I call it a Disposal draft because that's how sports call it. I think the official title is Dispersal. That's how this is going to work out. Uh, There's also going to be some Major League Scouts and other indie Scouts available. So if you do not get signed by the Road Warrior team, if you do not get signed by one of these seven other teams, then there's still a good chance you could wind up in the Frontier League or the American Association. I know a lot of the American Association teams are probably going to be licking their chops at some of the exodus of these Atlantic League guys that don't want to deal with the rules anymore. So this could be an opportunity there. Uh, Frontier League, some of the well, old Frontier League teams and not the new Frontier League teams, probably have some now open spots for roster exemptions. As we know, the rules and all that are, it's going to be 28 with the roster exemptions. We went through this, you know, four twenty-eight 28 28-year-old players. Some of those original Frontier League teams, they may be looking to pull in some uh, older guys. That could be a good opportunity for them as well. I'm sure that there's going to be some spots like that available. That's about all we got. I just kind of final thoughts on the matter. I do like it. I think it's very comprehensive. Uh, Maddox did a good job putting this together. It has a good track record of getting guys through. And by and large, I think this is a definite positive to see kind of go through. Obviously, the Atlantic League could have organized some sort of independent tryout. Then obviously, they will have independent team tryouts. But having a giant kind of complex thing like this, similar to what they did, well, exactly what they did last year in Lakeland, Florida, it worked out very well. Cover it the best we can, we'll kind of see what we get there, we'll obviously be talking to uh, the sources we have on teams, the sources we have in clubhouses and things like that and try and get a good read on the situation and how each of those days were kind of going and all that jazz and see how that's going and try to keep you the most, or give you the most up-to-date information as possible there, but like I just said, kind of summarizing what I've been saying for the past uh, 10 minutes or so, I do like it. I think it's a solid thing. I think we're going to get to see both aspects of a player. I think a DH is going to be able to excel. I think a a terrific fielder is going to be able to excel. And I think, by and large, you're going to be able to get a lot out of it. I assume there's also going to be some sort of a pitching drill for pitchers while the fielders are doing their batting session and doing their fielding practice. I assume that's what's going to be happening there. I imagine you'd utilize all four fields there, doing a fielding exercise on the one field, pitching on another, and batting on another and you still have an open field so it'll be very interesting to see how that all works out but yeah no i think that's a good place to leave that off we'll continue with the atlantic league talk though and we will move now to the sugarland letter so if you'll recall back on episode 34 we talked about the baseball america letter that came out now that was a jam packed episode so we didn't spend too much time on it plus what was kind of laid out in there i said it could usher in a golden age of indie ball I suppose I should backtrack a little bit here. Uh, in that Baseball America article, it basically said, in uh, more words than this Major League Baseball wants to do a sweeping overview of the minor league system, the affiliate minor league system, where right? they want higher quality ballparks, they want higher quality, you know, D staff. They want basically to raise the bar for their affiliated systems. Now, that's normally a good thing here. However, what would result in this? is 40-plus minor league markets being cut from affiliated baseball. So these teams would either be disbanded, they would have to join independent leagues, they may go to a summer collegiate league. We've seen that been being very popular. So you'd see things like that happen. Obviously, this distressed a lot of fans, both affiliated and unaffiliated. From the unaffiliated side, you're looking at it and going, oh, well, some of these markets could be very good, especially for some of these newer leagues, like uh, the Southwest League. That's not going to happen because Mark is... Uh, Mark may be a little bit in over his head. And you also have the Western League that's just starting up, which only has one team at the moment and is supposed to start playing about, oh, seven months. So I'm not really feeling confident there. Although the Henderson, who are looking for a GM, I did see that put out. So if you have experience in sports management, or really, to be honest, from the licks of the team, if you're just out of college but have a degree in sports management, you may want to throw an application in there. And to kind of get back to the point of the of everything i was saying this could be good however one thing that was listed out in that episode was the possibility of two independent teams joining the affiliated ranks those would be the same paul saints they would join the twin system as a double a team which would make a lot of sense that ballpark is terrific it'd be like the ballpark in hartford as far as that standard goes and they obviously have a fan base they obviously draw well it would make a lot of sense especially for emergency call-ups and stuff like that. You're literally a 20-minute ride away from the Twins' ballpark, so if you need someone there, you could easily pull them. And then the other team was Sugarland. That would go to the Astros again to be a double-A team, and it would make a lot of sense again because it's like, I believe, a 30-minute drive from Sugarland to Houston, so that makes a lot of sense there. Immediately after that went out, the Saints came out and said, while we're flattered that we're included, we have no desire to do this. This isn't the first time we've been offered something like this. And we prefer to remain autonomous. We think this works better for our business model. We've had success doing this, so we have no real desire to go to affiliated ball Now, in the past, or even in the future, just is something we're interested in. Sugarland didn't respond to that until just now. So that's what this letter is. It's from Team President Chris Hill. It didn't really say anything. That's the thing. I'm not the only one that thought that. Mike Ashmore on Twitter, M. Ashmore. It's, it didn't say anything. Like it just ran on the bush. I'll obviously link the statement as well. But it basically said we're flattered that you know we're included. We believe we were included because of our the success we've had with the market, the amount of fans we have, how nice of a stadium we have. We were only one of two teams, so it's really flattering to be included in this. However, we can't comment on things we're not involved in, and we look forward to the 2020 season now. I know some people are going to say, well, they outright said, we're not involved in meetings. I don't necessarily believe that because up to a day and a half before the merger went down, Kevin Wynn was telling me, we don't have any merger in plans. We have no plans to have a merger. We'll have more to say on October 20th when our league meeting happens. That's when we'll comment more. And then when I asked Tesla, he's like, we enjoyed working with them. We don't have plans to emerge or anything like that in the future. We look forward to working with them again in the future. And that was about a week before the merge became official, but we all kind of knew at that point that it was. So I don't really believe when the club says that, which to be fair, if they outright said, yeah, we're looking to leave or yeah, this is the plan, they wouldn't be doing their job. Their job is to hide that information until they're able to announce on their terms until they have official terms. And our job as kind of like a media or um, kind of consolidation of information source is to find that information and report it before they announce it. Our job is to kind of get in there and get that information first, which obviously those goals are, you know, opposed to each other. So I don't necessarily believe that that is the factual bit of it because it really seems like a runaround, like real complimentary. It almost seems like the kind of thing you're doing if you're courting them. And frankly, Sugarland doesn't have as much of that basis in the Atlantic League. I know in the thing it said, we're happy to be part of the Atlantic League. However, it just seems very odd that if you got going to offer the, the opportunity to go to Affiliated Ball, in the ballpark you're in, in the region you're in, so disconnected from the other Atlantic League teams, and when expansion is seemingly not coming to Texas now with Mesquite being gone, even then, it's still about a five-hour ride to Mesquite from Sugar Land. It definitely does seem a bit off that this is the decision they're going to, you know, make to stay in a, in Indie Ball, as the decision to go to Affiliated Ball will probably help them more. Now, they've been very successful, and will continue to be successful regardless of what system they're a part of. But it's just something that I felt should have been addressed more strongly. Like you could have said something to the extent of, well, we're very flattered because of the high quality of our stadium and, and all the jazz to put out there. We have absolutely zero interest in moving to affiliated ball. We are very happy here. We look forward to many more years and affirm our commitment to the Atlantic League as there's big things coming on the horizon. Or you could have said something to that extent where I made it very clear. Here it's not very clear. You're just saying, we're not part of the meetings. You're not saying, we're happy in this league and we want to stay in this league. You're saying, we're just not there yet. It may just be the way I'm reading it, but I don't really see that as a definite statement. And even with a definite statement, like I said just a few minutes ago, how definite is it really? So it's hard to say, but it's just a very odd timing that you've released this some month later after this article came out instead of getting in front of it releasing this statement a day or two after when it would have been timely to release it you're doing it now it almost seems like you were discussing this back and forth with like your internal brain trust or even with affiliated ball or MLB and you came to the conclusion of this won't really work for what you want us to do we're not comfortable doing that we think that's going to hurt our bottom line so we're going to decline the offer and then just kind of deny that we're in meetings. Now I don't want to say that happened because that's just speculation, but that's certainly what it appears to be to me that, you know, they already have connections with major league baseball through the partnership the Atlantic league has. It wouldn't be that much of a logical leap to go and see, say the owner president and possibly GM of the Skiers go to whoever their liaison is with MLB say we're interested in this offer, which I'm sure they got, let's talk. You talk about it, you come to the conclusion, just numbers-wise, it doesn't work out, or it doesn't have a high enough percentage of working out to be worth the risk. And I'm just saying, I think this could be, very strongly be, what happened. Now, I don't have a source on that, that's just kind of my thinking on it, and I don't want to, you know, say for certain that's what happened, but If you think about it, is it that much of a logical leap to see them reaching out to their contact, talking it through, and then that being it? Now, I say that as if it's a bad thing, but it really isn't. That's just checking all your bases, making sure that you aren't passing up on a golden opportunity. And frankly, that's what they should be doing. They should be checking and making sure that this wasn't a serious offer on the table that would have greatly benefited them. Because you do lose some costs. I mean, player salary goes down and I, theoretically, you do get a higher quality roster or you get a roster that draws in more people because of high level quality talent. Now, I'm not sure what the Astro and twin systems look like to say that, yes, that would happen, or even what leagues they would play in to see what kind of prospects would be coming to town on the reg. But still, I think that's just something that was interesting to point out and interesting to look at. So that's just something to kind of look at going forward. And. That being said, I think we can kind of make our move now to the final thing we have on the docket today. Uh, managers. There's three manager notes from the past week that I'm going to bring up. I know it's a bit of a shorter show, but when it's a single show. And I'm just going through news and there's no real back and forth. Then, you know, it's, it's not that enjoyable to listen to, I don't think. And it's rather difficult on my end to kind of carry the whole show and do all that. So we're just going to kind of get on with this and get going with this final topic. So so we're going to kind of jump around now to a different a set of leagues, two Frontier League stories, and then a American Association story. We're gonna kinda of go on level of significance here. So we got Kevin Baez. He's going to return to Rockland 2020. He had a 43 and 50 record. Sean Riley called it a rebuilding year that he was surprised they made the playoffs in. I don't really think you rebuild an independent league baseball because there's no real draft. There's no real future considerations you're picking up here. Although, that being said, it definitely was a rebuilding year from that perspective of they weren't terribly good. There were moments where you had some guys that looked good, but more often than not, it was a struggle for the whole year for them. But Baez did do a good job. He nearly got them to 500. I mean, was there? What were they off from being 500? Two wins? Three wins? They would have got, yeah, three wins. They would have been 46 and 47, which is pretty close to 500 there. Old time, we don't really have the exact numbers for Baez. However, in Long Island, which was his tenure before this, he was there for seven years, 2011 to 2018. That was before Wally Backman jumped in. Uh, he had a record of 571 and 516. So not a terrible record. His record does decrease women percentage-wise after this year. But like I said, there really wasn't much to work with. Good to see Bias back. All in all, a solid rehiring there by Rockland. it will be interesting to see this year. With different roster restrictions in place, they'll have to keep certain guys. I'll be curious to see whom they're keeping, whom they're letting go, and all of that noise. But it'll be interesting to see if they can manage to charge back up into the playoffs. Obviously, that's a lot more difficult now as you have more teams and fewer spots for those teams. So you have four spots. I believe it's 14 teams in the Frontier League now. On your half of the board, you have seven. So you got to finish in the top two now as opposed to finishing in the top four of six. So it's a lot more difficult. It's going to be very interesting to see if the team that finished as the fourth best in the league last year can manage to come up and get a playoff spot again this year. All in all, Kevin Baez, solid job there. Good rehiring. We now go to Lincoln, Nebraska, where the Salt Dogs have hired James Frisbee as the replacement manager. They fired the last guy. or They didn't fire Baker. They just chose not to retain him, so he was not renewed on his contract. Uh, Frisbee has had a, a decent managerial history, last managing the Southern Maryland Blue Cramps in 2018. This past season, he spent as a pitching coach with Gateway at the Frontier League, so he does make a little bit of a jump up. Uh His record as a manager is 301 to 397, so not great there, 96 games under 500. However, he did have to deal with a not-so-great Southern Maryland team, which has been not so great for nearly their whole existence going 50 and 76 in 2018. Before that, he was a manager of the Texas Air Hog, so this is a return to the American Association for him. He went 34 and 65 there, so again, he kind of gets the short end of the stick, getting these less-than-successful teams in the American Association and Atlantic Leagues. Uh, his longest tenured position was in Rockford from 2013 to 2014, or 2015, my mistake, so 13 to 15, with the Rockford Aviators of the Frontier League, 133 and 155. So, 22 under 500, but again, not really known for the winning. Uh, before that, he did have two other stints as manager in leagues that no longer exist. Those would be the Southern Coast League, 47 and 42, with Brenton. Uh, Brenton, That's in Florida. And then the Rio Grande Valley team, in 2003, in the Central League, 37 and 59. So it, by and large, doesn't seem like it was, it's a reflection on him as a manager. It seems more like a reflection on the quality of teams he's been given. I'm a bit afraid that's going to happen again here with Lincoln. That's had a couple of down years since they last won a division championship. Sure, they were no, they weren't really anything to look at. Uh, 40 and 59 last year, third in the Southern Division and 17 and a half back for a playoff spot. So not great for Lincoln last year. Hopefully. Frisbee can kind of turn it around. He's the eighth manager in team history. And so hopefully, like I said, he can manage to turn things around, get Lincoln back into their winning ways, and get them back into the playoffs. However, that's going to largely depend on the type of team he fields. He's a pitching coach by trade. He's also good at managing it. Well, He's a pitching coach by trade. So hopefully he'll be able to work on those pitchers and get them throwing well. And the last bit of news we have here is Dennis Palfrey, the former manager of the Florence Freedom, has been signed by the San Jose Giants, obviously the, obviously the high affiliate to the San Francisco Giants. He spent the past five years in Florence going 261 and 218, a solid record as a manager. He looks to be very well poised to take over that team, which most notably has Courtney Hawkins. You remember him from his time in Sugarland the past two years. So it's not a terrible team. Definitely a step up for him. Definitely moving up the ladder. Glad to see a guy like him getting an opportunity. It looks good on all of independent league baseball when things like this happen. I believe this is the second Florence manager in a row to get signed to manager to run a affiliated league club. So good for them. And yeah, that's about all we got in the way of news this week. I was going to tack on that extra segment, but like I said, single show, so I can't really have a whole discussion thing like I wanted to here. So we'll add it on to next week's show and all of that. With nothing else left to add, let's plug and get out of here. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Indie Ball Report. You can find us on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod. Most podcatchers have us, so Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Really? Anywhere you can get us except for Google Play, which we're gonna sort out eventually, but we never do. We'll work on that, getting that done. You can definitely like, subscribe, rate, review, all on those. Giving us a listens definitely help. We have our we had our best week this past week. We had over seven hundred plays on all our episodes combined this past week. So thank you guys for that. It was an awesome week. Let's see if we can't keep this up and keep up this momentum. Because the more momentum we get, the higher level Of prestige we get and that means the more access we get and the better content we can put out for you so let's keep this going you also want to check out our YouTube channel as well we we're going to be putting something fun up there tomorrow so Sunday I don't know what time however it's going to be fun and if you saw all the things we were posting on social media you may have been able to kind of guess where we're heading with it so definitely take a look at that it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a little bit different and hopefully it works out well and if it does, we'll definitely do more stuff like that. It's just kind of a fun content little thing. So definitely check that out. If you haven't seen our article on the ALPB Disposal Draft Report Card, check that out. That's on our website, IndieBallReport.com. Make sure you put the www in front of it, though. Otherwise, for some reason, it doesn't go to that website. In any case, you can check that out. It's a very comprehensive breakdown. Grade every single pick. Grade every single team and kind of break down each of the players, why I liked that player's choice in that draft, or spot in that draft, why I didn't, who I think was the ultimate winner, who I think was the ultimate loser in the draft, all of that information, very good, high quality stuff, check it out, links for each of those will be in the uh, bios and descriptions of each of our social media accounts. So with that being said, nothing else left to add, nothing else left to plug, I'm gonna end this show like we end every show. And I'm telling you, don't forget to play ball.